Chase McGrath for the win for the Volunteers. From 40. On the way, a knuckleball. He got it! And here they come. For two in the lead. Rising up the middle. He is in. Utah leads. Got Johnson out here. And no safety help. Do they take a shot at him? No, oh, they give it to Miller. Touchdown! TCU wins. Week 7 was as awesome as advertised. We'll review. I'll put together my new top 25 and we'll tackle the week 8 college watch guide. But first, be blessed. All my blessings, all my blessings. 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 I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one, I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn into a belly. See, I'm stunned, so I'm all I'm thinking, please don't tell me. Oh boy, she was seeing you. Oh boy, let's start off with that Alabama Tennessee game that ended up with a field full of Vols fans and void of any field goals as they went for a little journey down the river, to my understanding. Bryce Young was a surprise to play, warmed up in his pads last week, but wasn't a go, so he did before this game. Had a little chat with Saban and hit the field. He looked perfectly healthy, really. Um, He was out there on the opening drive, a three and out, took a hit, didn't favor the shoulder, and uh, looks, looks like he'll be ready to go for the rest of the year, unless something else was broken in this game with all the hits he took. Tennessee's first two plays went for first downs, and Alabama was backed up multiple times in the first uh, couple plays there that didn't do them any favors while Tennessee came out firing. So the tie didn't steady themselves until close to halftime, and eventually the game was tied later on in the third quarter. Hooker did throw his first interception of the season, and Tennessee had some of their worst plays later into the third quarter when the game was tied up. There's a horrible handoff that left the ball in the backfield on a fake handoff between Smallwood and um, Hooker that was actually supposed to be a real handoff. So that was an easy pickup fumble for Alabama to run in the ball and actually take a lead at that particular point, 49-42. Tennessee then got stuck on a fourth and inches inside the 30-yard line. They had a false start. They got backed up. And the Vols had just a number of problems there. They went for it on fourth and five at that particular point. Hooker was chased out of the pocket, threw the ball. It was actually grabbed, picked off in the end zone. It looked like Alabama would then be taking it back the other way. It was ultimately turned away because of a a pass interference on an Alabama player. And Tennessee was able to score there and regain momentum. Now, Alabama did have 17 penalties, the most ever in school history. So that was a big problem that they've been suffering through the entire season is all those penalties, double-digit penalties in multiple games now. But Tennessee was able to tie the ball game up with under four minutes to go. Now Alabama was driving for what appeared to be the game-winning field goal to get in the field goal range. 
It turned into a 40-plus yarder that sailed wide right. And that actually set up Tennessee for the chance to kick a game winner. So we had a couple big pass plays that'll go down in a Tennessee lore. They got the final kick off with two seconds left. A nice 30-something yarder well within the field goal kicker's range. Although he hadn't kicked a whole lot. He wasn't particularly experienced. I believe they have a freshman kicker there. And I thought the kick was blocked initially, but still had enough to possibly go through. But it was just a horrible knuckleball, as the announcer said there. And it still went through the uprights for the big win. Of course, the crowd rushed. All the fireworks were going off in the stadium and the lights. They actually had to nerf the audio that was coming through the headsets and your television because of all the noise that was going on around the broadcasters and the, the production there. So you didn't get to hear all the awesomeness that was going on there with how they had to mute everything to uh, not blow out your eardrums. But just an awesome, awesome event for what was another terrible display by Alabama, despite Bryce Young actually participating in this game. Let's see here. He was 25 for 52 for 455 yards and two touchdowns. And he's dragging this team right now. Jamara Gibbs, again, the running back. At 31 total touches, about a half dozen of those were catches for a total of 151 total yards and three touchdowns. The tight end was a big piece of this. Cameron Latou led with six receptions for 90 yards and a touchdown. He had some big, important catches for that squad. Hendon Hooker put the ball in the air fewer times than you think. He was 21 for 30 for 385 yards, five touchdowns, one interception his first of the year. He had 56 yards on the ground as well. And Jalen Hyatt was the highlight of the day. Six grabs for 207 yards, five touchdowns. I mentioned him in doing the podcast last week, that he's one of the pieces stepping in for the injury to uh, Grant, one of their other receivers here, who they might get back next week or in the next couple weeks here. Tennessee has George in the next few weeks, so hopefully he'll be back by that game. But they do have a number of weapons here, Hyatt being one of them. The defense, uh, again, there weren't a whole lot of sacks per se in this game, but the defense still got nine credited quarterback hurries on um, uh, Bryce Young here. So that was that was something to get some pressure on him, although the offensive line for Alabama has been under fire as well this season. Yet another non-checked box for the Tide in their typical role to national championships, a good offensive line, no penalties, that kind of thing. But this game had over 1,100 yards of total offense and was really from the beginning to end just a show so i hope you were able to tune into this exciting match i assume it'll run as a classic on the sec network and espn for many years to come now a game that was kind of on the radar i certainly highlighted it uh, number 23 at the time texas and iowa state that was a 24 21 final for the longhorns and quinn ewers did have a tough time with this defense now, Iowa State was up early. They had a chance to go up two possessions in the second quarter, but Hunter Deckers was picked off in the end zone. Texas themselves had a missed field goal. Uh, Ewers had a weird play where he actually threw the ball backwards and had to go chase it down and fall on it, so it wasn't a turnover that put them behind downs. And one of their early possessions, just a weird sequence that turned into a drive killer, and they just lots of lots of problems early. Texas finally put a couple scores on the board with under six minutes to go before the half to take the lead, and they came out at the beginning of the third quarter, and nine of ten plays to start their next drive out there were all positive yardage 
for uh, all handoffs. There are handoffs for positive yardage rotating between Bijan Robinson and next year's star running back Roshan Johnson, who will take over the lead after superstar Robinson goes on to the NFL. That drive in particular actually ended when Ewers missed a wide open throw to an open receiver in the end zone and they had to settle for a field goal. So that wasn't a great look for Ewers trying to end that drive. He didn't miss later on though on a fourth and goal from the one yard line with under five minutes to go in the game. He finally got it in the end zone to take the lead back at that particular point, 23 to 21 in a game where points were hard to come by. The Hutchinson converted a fourth down for Iowa State and then had a walk-in 55-yard touchdown on the next possession to regain the lead with less than five minutes to go, but he dove for the ball, kind of made a funny action to go for a wide-open catch, and dropped it. So Iowa State had a walk-in touchdown with less than three minutes to go to take the lead, and that would have forced Texas to again drive the whole field and score a touchdown of their own to, uh, to win the ball game. So uh, I don't think that's, that's being talked about enough. Now, two plays later, Decker seemingly took a headshot and fumbled the ball, and Texas recovered it and won the football game. That was the end of it. I'm not sure Decker was really hit in the head. Seems to be a topic of conversation. It wasn't reviewed, but uh, the way he was hit, I'm not sure that it wasn't a targeting penalty or intentional roughness, and certainly seems when you're hit that hard and you possibly black out that you might drop the ball. Just seems like that shouldn't be a penalty. When you're hit on an illegal play that causes you to fumble the ball, that causes you to lose the game. But I digress. Texas pulls it out. And the Texas hype going into this game was just, just wild. Yeah, guys like Joel, Joel Klatt and Josh Pate fielding that uh, Texas could make the playoffs as a two-loss team, which is just crazy. We've never seen a two-loss team, obviously, in the four-team playoff. And I don't expect to in what's going to be really a brief period of this time in the history of college football. 2014 was the first year of the four-team playoff. And in 2024 or 2025 will be the last year before it expands. So it's only going to be 10, 11, 12 years of a four-team playoff history in the grand scheme of things. And I don't think we'll ever see a two-loss team. It just works out that um, we have enough conference championship teams that have one loss or zero losses to squeeze into the 14 playoff. I don't think this Texas team's going to make it. And especially not after a really a crummy win like this, Matt Campbell, the head coach for Iowa state was going crazy. I worry about his blood pressure. Sometimes he really gets into some fits over there and the cyclones just like that are three and four with all four losses coming by a combined 14 points. Michigan state, uh, Michigan and Penn State. There we go. It was such a blowout. I confused Michigan for Michigan State there. Uh, so Michigan had 30 plus plays and 13 points on the board before Penn State had even run more than six plays. And this was halfway through the second quarter. Sean Clifford had converted. Uh, this was the first half for Penn State. Sean Clifford converted a third and one on their third possession on an awesome keeper and ran for 62 yards down to the two three yard line. That drive ended by converting a fourth and goal for a touchdown as the next three plays resulted in one yard each, so they had to go for it on fourth down. Later on, Penn State had a pick six to take the lead, and that was about it. Three good plays for Penn State on the first half, and they were rolled in the second half altogether. 
This was a top run defense for the Nittany Lions. Top five, I believe. They gave up 418 yards on the ground to Michigan, who routinely broke off 10-yard runs and um, averaged 7.6 yards per carry. So this was exciting for about a half. Watchable for about a half. Exciting is a little strong of a verb there. But Michigan, Penn State, top 10 battle. And Michigan finally looked good beating another good team. J.J. McCarthy didn't have to do a whole lot, wasn't asked to do a whole lot. That's perfectly fine. Keep playing, keep growing, but um, still not sold that he can make big plays against big teams, but he may not have to until the Ohio State game. And even then, I think this team can run the ball on the Buckeyes. So may not have to do anything until uh, maybe the playoffs. We'll see. Number nine, Old Miss and Auburn. This was a game that you had to keep on, well, Keep it, keep an eye on at least. Keep on the small screen. Keep flipping over to whatever you were doing in the afternoon if you were watching college football in general. Old Miss was up 21-0 in this game, and Auburn somehow kept it interesting. Jackson Dart, the transfer in there, who's supposed to take over for Matt Corral and lead this great passing offense, again, is not doing that at all. He was 9-for-19 passing, but had three touchdowns on nine passing attempts for the Rebels. And he was one of three 100-plus-yard rushers as he went for 115. Quinshawn Jenkins Jink Jenkins went for 139 and two touchdowns. And Zach Evans went for 136 and a touchdown for a top-five rushing offense there, Old Miss. Now, Auburn's Tank Bigsby, who's a star for that team, supposed to be possibly a dark horse Heisman candidate coming into the season, if not for the how horrible this roster was. He went for 179 yards and two touchdowns, but the Tigers offensively eventually just could not keep pace with the Rebels and fell 48-34. to Ole Miss had 29 first downs and was 10 for 19 on third downs. Just kept moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, scoring all the way through. Auburn, this was two scores, you know, three scores, then one score, then two scores, then one score, then two, then one, then two, then one. It was... Always in striking distance for Auburn. After the early three-touchdown lead, they started to nibble into that and uh, hang around and eventually fell apart. I think the quarterbacks had 17 combined completions in this game, so very much a ground game. And um, Old Miss survives another one. Not sure how good they are, but survived another football game. Illinois-Minnesota had more points than expected. Tanner Morgan was knocked out of the game with the score at 24-13. And freshman Athen Killamanthus, uh, we'll call him Athen K, came in. And he immediately was sacked for a major loss. And you knew there was no chance of coming back for the Minnesota Gophers. Morgan was only 4-for-12 for 21 yards and a pick before he went down. Although he had a rushing touchdown. But the, it was a rough day for Gophers quarterbacks. And that offense there, it's just not... Um, going to get it done in the Big Ten at West. Chase Brown for the Fighting Illini had 41 carries for 180 yards. It's 4.4 per for one of the top backs in the country. On the other side, Mohamed Ibrahim, only 15 carries, but went for 127 yards and a touchdown. That's 8.5 yards per carry as the Gophers' lone source of offense right now. The final was 26-14 to 14, Illini, but that did hit the over. So the Illini has that going for him. The Gophers now 4-2. and two. 
are going to be in a tough stretch here in the Big Ten. Next game I have here, number 22, Kentucky cleaned up, number 16, Mississippi State, 22-17. to 17. I thought that was a little shocking. 24 penalties combined plagued this game. It was 3-3 three to three at the half. Not very exciting. And MSU just never got going at all. Will Levis, I thought, was a surprise to pop in and play this game. And he wasn't particularly great. But Mississippi State just could not get anything going. And Kentucky at home managed to put some points up in the second half of this game to pull away. I think that Chris Rodriguez Jr. at running back, coming back, has really made a difference. This is his third game back now, I believe, after missing the first chunk of the season. He had 31 carries for 197 yards and two touchdown touchdowns. So despite the poor offensive line here for the Kentucky Wildcats, at least they're two-dimensional with Will Levis at quarterback and a solid threat at the running back position. Mississippi State as a whole finished with 225 yards of offense. Kentucky, 478. The Oklahoma Sooners, in their alternate uniforms that looked pretty spiffy, were hosting the number 19-ranked Kansas Jayhawks without their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, who's out for, I think he's out for the season. I know that was a report that came out and was kind of debunked, but he also hasn't stated that he's going to return for sure, so that's kind of up in the air. 52-42 was the final. It was tied at 14 after the first quarter, but Oklahoma put up 21 points in the second quarter, had over 500 yards of offense at the half, and kind of just pulled away in this one. Kansas kept battling, but was down three scores multiple times, and the option offense they like to run kind of just fell by the wayside. Oklahoma's defense allowed 430 yards of offense, 9.8 yards per catch, 4.7 yards per rush. Still, it still wasn't close. They had 701 yards of offense, 14 for 21 on third down, averaged over nine yards per pass, five yards per carry, and forced two turnovers of their own in just a wild high-scoring affair between two teams that, in all reality right now, aren't looking very good. Now, Jalen Daniels doesn't play defense, so Kansas has still got problems there. And although there are no bad teams in the Big 12, Kansas has got to get it together or they will again end up at the bottom half of that league. Staying in the Big 12, let's hit the big game. Number 13, TCU over number 8, Oklahoma State, 43-40 to in double overtime. TCU wore some slick uniforms, the red numbers, and the helmet outlines on the charcoal uniforms with the purple helmet with the frogs on the side. Pretty cool looking. The first three touchdowns of the game were all rushing touchdowns by the quarterback, two by Spencer Sanders, which was surprising considering he was questionable heading into the game, was possibly playing with a banged up shoulder, which is certainly still injured this week. But Oklahoma State scored on four of their first five possessions to grab a 24-7 lead in the first half that looked like they might just blow out the Horned Frogs early. But outside of that, they had they had some issues. TCU was third for 13 on first down but crushed the Cowboys in every other box score offensive metric, including 124 more yards of offense. Now, Spencer Sanders finished 16 for 36 passing. He did have a total of three touchdowns and 317 yards of total offense, but again, not great passing numbers, possibly due to that banged-up shoulder. Max Duggins had a three-touchdown, 
343 yards of total offense game. Quinton Johnston, that star receiver they have, the focal point of that offense, eight catches for 180 yards and a touchdown. Now TCU tied the sucker up with two minutes left to play on a trick play. And Oklahoma State wasn't able to get anything going once they got the ball back and punted it back to TCU. Now the Horned Frogs, with time kind of running out, had a shot at a big throw down the sideline that would have put them in game-winning field goal range. The ball hung just a minute too long, a second too long in the air. It was punched away by the defender. Now Duggan had hurt his arm on an earlier play, so it seemed like it affected the throw, unfortunately, for the Horned Frogs there, but they were not able to pull it out in regulation. TCU was eventually able to punch it in in double overtime, but the Cowboys had 24 of their 40 points in the first half and 30 of their 40 points in the first three quarters. So the offense just completely died as we got later into the football game and TCU eventually prevailed out there. Number 18, Syracuse was hosting number 15, NC State, and this was a boring game. I did not watch a whole lot of that. It was announced prior to that Nick Leary would be out for the season with his shoulder, upper shoulder injury, I believe, a blow that the Wolfpack certainly felt. Hughes drove down and scored easily uh, to score uh, on their opening drive there. They won the game 24-9, and the Wolfpack will be struggling offensively for the rest of the game. Syracuse wasn't explosive offensively. The Wolfpack will still have a good defense, but... um, in a, a day where multiple games had teams combining for over a thousand yards of offense, these teams went for about 650 altogether in a defensive struggle. Number four, Clemson beat Florida State 34 to 28. Now, Clemson had this well in hand for most of the game. Florida State made it interesting late, but you never really thought the Tigers were really going to lose this. Jordan Chavis hit a touchdown to, to pull it close. Uh, with a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter. So it was an onside kick recovery away from being real interesting. Will Shipley again, 20 carries, 121 yards, just a solid running back there for Clemson, the best offensive piece there. DJ was 15 for 23 for 203 yards and three touchdowns. Efficient in what he does, doesn't put the ball in the air a whole lot though. Jordan Travis had to carry the team at times. Trey Benson and Lawrence to Tuffle. Had 68 yards on the ground each, but Travis was 24 for 42 for 254 and two touchdowns. He jogged for 64 yards as well and a touchdown to lead the team in carries. Florida State had more than 100 yards more offense than Clemson. 10 more first downs, fewer penalties, a massive 6.1 yards per carry, and just couldn't pull the game out. But that's kind of the story for Florida State right now. Clemson led by 20 points at one time. And again, the game just didn't seem close. The Tigers had three touchdowns, three of their touchdowns on a total of eight plays, a four, three, and a one-play drive from a big 59-yard touchdown pass, a Florida State fumble that set up a short field, and a kick return that set up a short field as well. So just taking advantage of mistakes and making big plays when they have to get it done. So Clemson still not looking super impressive, but another big win over a good football team on the road. And finally, number seven, the USC Trojans falling at the hands of the number 20 ranked at the time, Utah Utes, 43 to 42. Both teams scored at least one touchdown each in every single quarter. Caleb Williams had five touchdowns 
and 438 total yards of offense. Cameron Rising had five total touchdowns, three on the ground, and 475 yards of total offense, over 1,100 yards altogether. Utah scored touchdowns on three of four possessions in the fourth quarter, including a big two-point conversion that ended up giving them the win. If they not Had they not got it, they would have lost this game. Again, 43-42 was the final. I was texting my brother about this, and as much credit as Utah's getting right now, Utah went for it because they couldn't stop USC, and they wouldn't have stopped the Trojans in extra innings if this had gone to overtime. And even with a one-point lead, you know, the Trojans still had a chance to go down and tie the game up. Jordan Addison had been injured earlier and was off the field. That certainly hurt the Trojans' ability with 48 seconds left to go down and get in the field goal range, but they took several shots at it, and we had I don't know how many flags thrown towards the end of this football game just trying to make it through the last few seconds there, and they ultimately could not get into range for a field goal as we played out the last one minute of game time and about 15 minutes of real time. Now, Dalton Kincaid, again, Utah loves its tight ends. They already lost one for the season, but Kincaid stepped up 16 catches for 234 yards and a touchdown. Somebody stop him. Utah was 7 for 13 on third down. They had 31 first downs. USC was 5 for 9 on third down, had 28 first downs. Utah was also 3 for 3 on fourth down. And again, Utah had the ball last, went for two. Actually, that's not true. USC had the ball last, couldn't get it. Their best player was out. Utah went for two, converted. And uh, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Much how Utah lost on the last play of the game in their opener at Florida, putting themselves in a position for a game-winning touchdown and just an absent-minded throw for a pick ended their, their game there and gave them their first loss of the season they turn around and I have to get it, convert critical play on a fourth and goal, hit that, and then get the two-point conversion on the other foot for them uh, to knock off the USC Trojans. And lastly, our non-Power 5 teams, are the last two that were undefeated, have gone down. Coastal Carolina was thumped at home 49-21 to by Old Dominion, their first loss in 11 months. And number 25, James Madison, lost to Georgia Southern, 45-38. to So that's the end of our unbeaten non-Power 5 squads. On the other foot, Colorado was the last team that had not won a football game heading into the weekend. They beat California in overtime, and the fans rushed the field. So there's that for you. All right. I've had a lot of internal debate about this, but I've now ranked, re-ranked my top 25 here. My number one is going to be Ohio State. They're 7-0. They've played one team that's going to make a bowl game for sure. That's Toledo. Maybe five others. Notre Dame's 3-3. Three and three. They have three winnable games left. UNLV, Boston College, Navy. So they could still make a bowl game. Wisconsin's 3-4. and four. Michigan State's 3-4. and four. Rutgers is 3-3. Three and three. So all things considered, they actually haven't played a tough schedule at all. But the offense looks good. The defense, statistically, is one of the best in the country. They still have uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba out injured. So they could still add another piece to that great offense, although there's still only one football to be passed around. They have a fleet of running backs. 
and this is just a team that can still win the national championship. Number two is Tennessee. They're 6-0. and They've beaten four to five bowl teams. So all this garbage about Tennessee really hasn't beat anyone because they've played four teams that were ranked when they played them, and Alabama's the only one still in the rankings. They've still beat more teams than literally any other team in the country. They still have the best record. Even if they lost to Alabama, they still have more good wins over any other team. At this point, I'm just using a bowl game as a metric. Are you going to win half your games? They beat Pitt and LSU on the road. Pitt, Florida, and Alabama were all close games. Of course, they crushed LSU a few weeks, uh, two weeks ago. One of the best offenses in the country. They're going to bring back another great receiver. They did lose a safety or a defensive back there, uh, a key piece for them, but he hasn't played most of the season. And the defense at times can still get pressure on opposing quarterbacks, although they're going to give up some yards. They're going to give up some passing yards. They're going to give up a little bit on the ground. I don't know how they're going to project for sure, but they'll play Georgia in a couple weeks. So we'll see where they're at. Michigan is number three. The Penn State win was was excellent. They've beaten two to three bowl teams at this point. Maryland by possession. Penn State. They beat Iowa on the road 27 to 14, but the Hawkeyes are three and three and the schedule actually isn't favorable. It's entirely possible that Iowa does not make a bowl game at all this season. They're looking better. The run game is dominant like it was last year, just translated right over. I think they can run the ball on literally anyone. I think they have as good a shot to beat Ohio State and make it back to the playoffs. Just a good a shot better than they did last season. I think they could take advantage of Ohio State there. J.J. McCarthy still hasn't made any big throws, hasn't had to against better defenses. That that could still be coming. But Michigan's, Michigan's my number three. Number four, I have Georgia at 7-0. Georgia has one win over a team that's going to a bowl game right now for sure, and that's Oregon. Oregon, who came across the country in the opener to play in a neutral site game that was really in Georgia's backyard, flew across the country multiple time zones, new head coach, new quarterback, new staff, new offense, new freaking literally everything, and was thumped by the defending national champ, which was replacing a number of starters, but still kind of reloading, not reloading and retooling and replacing literally everybody like Oregon was. South Carolina is now 4-2. and two. Georgia beat them. So it might be two teams making bowl games. But other than that, they struggled against Kent State. They could have lost to Missouri. And uh, they've since clamped down against two horrific offenses in Auburn and Vanderbilt. You could say, well, they're doing what they're supposed to. But they had a little, little hiccup in there. Still undefeated, five games left. Tennessee's still on the schedule. But right now, based on where I project them going forward and what they've done so far, I don't have them number one. And I think Tennessee can beat this football team as well. My number five is Clemson. 7-0, and beat three bowl teams. Wake Forest in double overtime. Florida State on the road by a possession in a game that they really ruled all the way through, but still a game that if a, a ball bounces a different way, like a kick, then they, Florida State's literally back in this ball game. They beat NC State at home by 10 points as well. They just look sluggish at times. I think they're coming together, but I'm not sure. They're still getting players back on defense. 
So maybe they still clamp down defensively and bringing those players back really flips the entire game script for them. But I don't know about Clemson right now. TCU, I have at six. They've beaten at least two, maybe three, four bowl teams. Oklahoma State for sure, 43-40. Probably Kansas. They beat them at full strength, though. Kansas is already at five wins. 38-31 on the road. Maybe SMU. They're 3-3 three and three right now. And Oklahoma as well, who they hammered, obviously. The defense in general is not anything to write home about. The offense revolves around one receiver. Quarterback's great, Max Duggan. But um, not sure that anyone in the Big 12 is going to the playoffs. My number seven is Old Miss. They've beaten two bowl teams. They beat Kentucky 22-19. And Kentucky was in position to tie the game, possibly win the game late. And they screwed themselves out of that one. Fumbled the ball. I believe they had two possessions late in that one. Will Levis was so banged up in that game that he set out the next one, so I'm not sure what level he was performing at in that game. The other win they have is over Troy, 28-10. to Troy will be in a bowl game. They had to survive Tulsa and a shootout with Auburn, more or less. They seem to be improving, very much relying on the, the run game, which is fine. If Jackson Dart can get something going in the air game, that'd be great but I'm not sure about the defense as a whole. And this team wasn't sure who was starting at quarterback in general, so I'm not sure how you advance much further than winning like 10 games if you're um, that kind of team. Next up, I have UCLA at number eight. Three bowl teams. South Alabama, 32-31. They were getting clowned for that, rightfully so. And now the fact that South Alabama has lost to them, you flip the script, that was the only loss that the, the Jaguars had there. And if they beat UCLA the other way around, then uh, they'd be ranked right now. It's a good football team. But UCLA also beat Washington 40-32, to Utah 42-32, to all home games. And the old casual football fan of the Big 12 plays no defense actually kind of figures in for the Pac-12 right now because we're seeing all these high-scoring shootouts and no lockdown defenders on any of these football teams. The only road game UCLA's played at all was against Colorado. So they'll get Oregon this week. We'll see how good they really are. I don't trust this defense, but I don't trust Bo Nix, the quarterback for Oregon either. So we'll we'll see what happens this week. My number nine, I pushed Syracuse down to 10. So number nine, I have Alabama. They have all kinds of problems. And the weird stuff, too. You don't expect penalties from a Nick Saban team. You don't expect shoddy offensive line play or defensive backs that can't slow anyone down. That's stuff you do not expect from Nick Saban. Bryce Young is dragging this team, but he could win the Heisman. And sometimes that's enough. Number 10, Syracuse. It'd be one healthy bowl team. Purdue, 32-29. to NC State with no Leary at quarterback. 24-9 last week. Uh, they're a win away from a bowl game, so I expect that they get one. NC State, that is. Syracuse also beat Louisville 31-7, but the Cards have six teams left on the schedule that were ranked or have been ranked at one time. So Louisville might not win another ball game. Um, so yeah, altogether Syracuse has a, a rough schedule there. 
could arguably be dropped lower, but right now I'm going to put them at 10. They're playing Clemson this week. I believe that they can beat a bunch of these teams ranked below them, but man, it's hard. It's it's really hard to tell right now. My number 11 is USC at 6-1. They beat Washington State and Oregon State, which isn't much to show right now, and then they've lost to this Utah team. They have to put points on the board. They have to put up more than you, and they're not really going to be able to stop you. Let's see what's seen in a nutshell right now. Wake Forest is my number 12. Wins at Florida State. Liberty, ironically enough, is a bigger win right now. And that double overtime loss to Clemson. It's got to be a tough one to swallow right now. Florida State and that offense with Sam Hartman still rolling around there. My number 12. Number 13, I put Oklahoma State. Wins over Baylor, who's now 3-3. Three and three. Wins over Texas Tech, who's now 3-3. Three and three and a loss at TCU in double overtime. I still think this is one of the better teams in the Big 12, but in saying that, I'm not sure that there's a big gap between anybody there. And Spencer Sanders just, I don't know. I don't like him in big games. Oregon's 5-1. and one. They are my number 14 team. Wins at BYU. Wins, wins against BYU at Washington State. A loss to Georgia, that horrible loss to Georgia. We've had some distance from that now. Maybe that shouldn't be, even with that horrible score, quite indicative of where they're at now. They play UCLA this week. We'll see where both of those teams stand. Illinois is my number 15, 6-1. I like them a lot, but realistically, they've beaten Minnesota. They've beaten Iowa who I said is 3-3. Three and three. They won at Wisconsin, who's 3-4. and four. Uh, Minnesota's 4-2 and two now. They lost to Indiana, 23-20. And again, they really shouldn't have lost. It should be a 7-0 Illinois team. But just not a particularly difficult schedule. I think they're, they're similar to Syracuse, in which you kind of like the quarterback, you love the running back. Uh, I think Illinois has got a better defense, but you're just not sure if this team is going to be able to beat some of the better squads, and you're just not going to be able to see it. I'd love to see how they match up against Michigan. Should both teams make the Big Ten Championship? I don't think it's going to be quite the walkover. I think the defense is going to cause problems. I just don't know about the offensive side of the football for the Illini. My number 16 is Penn State, and really it's hard to fathom them being this high up after embarrassing themselves, knowing that the offense was having problems, particularly the passing game, going to the Michigan, um, into the big house there, and then getting thumped like that. But they did win at Purdue. They won at Auburn. They now lost at Michigan. I've got Penn State with a good running game, of which they had no no way to run the ball last season. I still like the secondary. And uh, we're going to go Penn State 16. 17 is my first two-loss team. I'm going to go Utah. Again, losses at Florida, at UCLA. Wins against USC, Oregon State, I guess two of the better wins. And the Utes can still put up some points. It's not a defensive football team. It's just not. Cam Rising's a really good quarterback. So Utah's number 17. I've got Kentucky, 18. Wins at Florida, Mississippi State. Losses to Old Miss and South Carolina. No, no Will Levis for that game, though. So you can argue... If they had a healthy quarterback, they could have beat South Carolina. 
at least been right in the thick of that game. And if they didn't, you know, he wasn't banged up for the old Miss game before that and have a couple fumbles there that they could have won that game too. So this team, ironically, is close to undefeated as well. Texas, I'm actually getting lower on. They're 5-2. and two. They're my number uh, 19 team. I don't know what their best win is at this point. Iowa State, who now is a losing record. West Virginia, who's right around there. Oklahoma, UTSA. They have losses at Texas Tech in overtime, who's also right around 500, although no Quinn Ewers for that game. And the Alabama game. So this is just a, a football team that's played a lot of other 500 football teams, and they did not look good last week. Next team, 21, North Carolina, 6-1. and one. They've beaten Miami and Duke on the road and lost to Notre Dame. And Drake May, the quarterback, is tied for most touchdown passes in the country. And this team struggles on defense. That's about all I got to say for North Carolina. I do have Tulane in there next. Tulane and then Kansas State. So Tulane beat Kansas State earlier in the season. Tulane's also lost to Southern Miss, which is not good at all. The defense is real, though. I think they can move the ball a little bit on offense. I think that's a good Tulane team that could possibly win the American and steal it from Cincinnati. Kansas State, I'm not so high on. You're not even relying on the arm of Adrian Martinez, simply his feet and what he's able to do running the football from the quarterback position. That's never a recipe for success. But they are 5-1, and one, wins at Oklahoma against Texas Tech at Iowa State. Again, right around 500 Big 12 teams. They lost to Tulane, and they play this week against TCU. Next on my list, number 23 is Cincinnati. They're five and one, no big wins. They lost to Arkansas by a touchdown on the road in the opener. They're slowly building up the resume here. They play Central Florida this week. I think it's a good defense. They're up there in sacks, total sacks in the country. And um, I think they're a decent football team. They got a big game this week, though. 24, I've got Mississippi State, another two-loss team, five and two. Beat Arkansas, Memphis, Texas A&M. Lost at Kentucky and LSU. I still think this is a solid roster all the way around. Two tough road losses there. Number 25, I slipped Purdue in there. They're 6-2. Wins at Minnesota and Maryland. Losses at Syracuse and home against Penn State. But even here, towards the bottom of the top 25 alone, um, you're starting to, to get picky at this particular point, but I think Purdue can still win the Big Ten West. Good quarterback. The defense can make stops. A great receiver there as well in Mr. Charlie. I don't say Charlie Batch, but that's not right. Charlie Jones was 62 catches, 735 yards, and nine touchdowns on the season, 11.9 yards per catch. One of the best countries in a number of, one of the best catchers in the country, top 10 in a number of statistical categories. So Purdue at number 25 for me. And just outside of that, I have NC State at 5-2 and two and LSU at 5-2. and two. Um, Again, no leery for NC State is going to tank them a bit. And LSU, uh, just, just not quite there. Number 26, perhaps. Wins at Florida and home against Mississippi State. Losses against Florida State and Tennessee. And they're going to get the rest of that tough schedule. Alabama and Ole Miss 
and uh, the rest of that division there as well. So my top 10 is Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Georgia, Clemson, TCU, Ole Miss, UCLA, Alabama, Syracuse. And to round out my top 25, I have USC, Wake Forest, Oklahoma State, Oregon, Illinois, Penn State, Utah, Kentucky, Texas, North Carolina, Tulane, Kansas State, Cincinnati, Mississippi State, and uh, Purdue, the Boilermakers. The current AP poll is Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Tennessee moving up to 3, Michigan 4, Clemson 5, Alabama sliding down to 6, Old Miss 7, TCU sliding up to 8, quite a few spots there, UCLA 9, Oregon 10. Oklahoma State's at 11, sliding down 3 spots, USC's at 12, sliding down 5, Then we have Wake Forest, Syracuse making a jump, Utah making a jump, Penn State sliding down quite a bit, Kansas State staying neutral at 17, Illinois making a jump, followed by Kentucky, Texas, Cincinnati staying neutral, North Carolina making it back into the polls, NC State falling eight spots, Mississippi State falling eight spots, and Tulane making it into the polls for the first time. So everyone other than Four teams shifted a bit. Georgia and Ohio State at the very tippy top. Kansas State and Cincinnati staying neutral. And then because of the losses, everyone else shifted around a little bit. But your top 10 in the AP poll, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, Old Miss, TCU, UCLA, and Oregon with a big 9-10 matchup between UCLA and Oregon coming up this week. Others receiving votes are Purdue, LSU, South Carolina, surprisingly, UCF, and Kansas. That's your top 30. James Madison's after that. Oregon State, Maryland, South Alabama finally getting some votes. Liberty, and then Minnesota, Florida State, Arkansas each received one. So the only two schools to follow up this week were Kansas at number 19 and James Madison at number 25 with losses there. So there's the AP 25 and uh, mine as well. Hit the watch guide for week eight of the college football season. We do have a Wednesday game, a couple Thursdays, a couple Fridays. Not quite as exciting as some of our past events, but at Wednesday, October 19th, 7.30 ESPN2, the 3-3 Appalachian State Mountaineers will be hosting Georgia State, who is currently 2-4. The Mountaineers are having a rough go. They've lost two of their past three to Texas State and this good James Madison team. They did block out the Citadel um, prior to that. A weird uh, slate again here. They had that great start against North Carolina, Texas A&M, Troy, where they could have started 3-0, but this team's kind of fallen towards the wayside since then. And Georgia State, a great run team. They started 0-4 against a rather tough slate, and they've won two games since then, Army and Georgia Southern. So Georgia State here and uh, Appalachian State, the line is just a couple points, but that is your Wednesday game. I think we'll see some points. I don't think either of these teams are, are too awful, but they are going different directions right now. Thursday, October 20th, 7.30 ESPN. Uh, both games ESPN, ESPN and ESPN2. Virginia's 2-4. and four. They're at Georgia Tech, who's 3-3. Three and three. Who would have thought that? Georgia Tech is now 3-3, three and three, favored by three at home over a very bad Virginia team. Just a rough go for this ball club. And this is your non-Power 5 crap game of the weekday slate. 
Georgia Tech's actually 2-1 in conference play. I still like their quarterback, Jeff Sims, who has guided them to back-to-back wins over Pittsburgh, who was ranked to start the season. That was a road win, 26-21, and an overtime win over Duke, 23-20, before taking a bye week last week. So this squad suddenly has a little teeth to it in the ACC Coastal there. And Virginia, uh, not a lot to say. It's a tough, tough year for the, the Cavaliers here. So for your non-exciting Power 5 battle here, uh, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, maybe take a peek-see. But you do have a very fun game in the, in the non-Power 5 slate. It's actually ESPNU at 7.30. And that's the South Alabama team that's 5-1 and one, hosting Troy, who is 5-2. It's a three-point spread on South Alabama side, but these right now are two of the best teams in the Sun Belt Conference, going at it here. Bradley Cooper is the quarterback. Excuse me, Carter Bradley. I got myself a little twisted around there. Carter Bradley is the quarterback for South Alabama. 1,600 yards, 13 touchdowns, and four interceptions. Not throwing at a high completion percentage, but he's nevertheless guiding a very good group there. They can uh, run the ball, pass the ball, just a solid Solid squad all the way around there and a solid defensive group as well. The team is throwing up 36 points per game, again, out of the Sun Belt Conference and converting almost 48% on third down. That's a solid ball club. Troy has now won four games in a row over Marshall, Western Kentucky, two decent teams, Southern Miss and Texas State. Although they're not as prolific on the offensive side of the board, they seem to be able to get some things done. Now, they do have Jarrett Dodge, who was a starting quarterback at West Virginia, then transferred to Western Kentucky, then lost the starting job about two weeks before the season started, and then moved over here to Troyville. He isn't the starter, Gunnar Watson is, but he has still gotten some snaps, so it's possible that we will see him playing for the Troy Trojans. So this should be an interesting game. On the Thursday slate, probably better than Virginia and Georgia Tech and has some implications for the Sun Belt Conference. Friday, October 21st gives us two games, one clearly better than the other. At 7.30, ESPN2 has Temple at 2-4, and four, hosting Tulsa at 2-4. and four. A couple teams that are both winless in the American Conference there, though Tulsa has been pretty feisty recently. Temple had a nice start. Uh, two and two at one point, but uh, just a rough time for the Owls there. But at eight o'clock on the CBS Sports Network, Western Kentucky is four and three. They're hosting UAB at four and two, the Blazers. Both teams are two and one in Conference USA play. Western Kentucky's favored by just a touch. Both these teams like to put up some points. The Blazers do prefer to Scooby-Doo on the ground and run the ball. They have a good back there. And Dwayne McBride, who has 11 touchdowns on the year, 778 yards at 6.7 yards a clip. But they have another back there as well. And Mr. Jermaine Brown Jr., who runs for over 6 yards per clip as well. A solid group there for the Blazers, putting up almost 35 points per game able to convert pretty well on third down as well and uh, keep the ball moving there. Western Kentucky, known for their prolific passing offense last season, reloaded with Austin Reed, the transfer from 
Directional School Florida at the lower division where he won multiple national championships, and he's throwing a lot of yards again. Over 2,300 yards, 71% completion percentage, 21 touchdowns, 5 picks. He's got multiple receivers averaging over 10 yards per reception, and the team is averaging over 40 points per game. So we should have a lot of, a lot of offense, a lot of points, one team preferring to run on the ground, one team preferring to throw. Both teams far from perfect this season, certainly. Western Kentucky had a, a close loss at Indiana and a close loss to UTSA, but losses nonetheless. Uh, loss to Troy as well, so to the, the better teams on their schedule. And they've beat Austin Pay, Hawaii, FIU, MTSU, Middle Tennessee there. But they've given up a number of points on the back end. In the same token, the UAB Trailblazers losses to Liberty and Rice, who started the season pretty hot. They've also beat Middle Tennessee, Charlotte, Georgia Southern, Alabama A&M, but they've given up some points as well. So this could be a really high-scoring game. The over-under is currently sitting at 57.5, and it could go well over that, I'm thinking. Saturday, October 22nd will be a little bit lighter due to a number of bye weeks being taken. But your noon slate, I have two top watches here. Number 14, Syracuse is 6-0. They're traveling to Death Valley to play number 5, Clemson, who is 7-0. This is on ABC. The Tigers are 13.5-point favorites. And it's Syracuse that actually fields the top 10 defense here, not the uh, Tigers. Syracuse has only allowed six red zone touchdowns this season, one of the better marks in the country. Clemson, on the other hand, is 35 for 35, getting points out of red zone trips. The only other teams that have done that are Ohio State and Tennessee, converting and getting points on every red zone trip. But the Orangemen have only allowed six touchdowns on the year, so something will have to give there. These teams are averaging 36 and 38 points, respectively, and will be handing off to two underrated backs, and Sean Tucker and Will Shipley. They aren't at the top of any rushing leader lists, but they are both top backs, of course, if you've seen either one run the football. DJ Ungle, of course, has turned into a bit more of a threat with his feet and running the football. He's still passing at a decent rate as well for the Clemson Tigers. He's only thrown a couple of interceptions on the year, 17 touchdowns to two interceptions. And uh, he's doing a, a pretty good job. Four touchdowns on the ground as well. So he will have an opportunity to move the ball against this this great, pretty good defense of the Syracuse, which hasn't quite been tested like this yet. Garrett Schrader is the quarterback for Syracuse, completing almost 70% of his passes. 9.4 yards per pass attempt. That's a nice higher rate that we like to see pushing the ball downfield. 12 touchdowns and three interceptions. He's also the second leading rusher for the team, and um, he's got five touchdowns on the year as well. So both quarterbacks, not the focal point of their offenses per se. Um, this would be an interesting game. I think these team rooms are a little bit more balanced than uh, that first glance, but uh, I do think that uh, Clemson will come away here. But again, it'll be interesting to see if they'll be able to continue to pull away from teams, which is something they're struggling with, and be able to make a playoff push. This is one of the challenges still left on their slate. The other game in the noon slot I have here is SMU, who was 3-3. Three and three. 
They're hosting number 25, Cincinnati, who is currently 5-1. and one. This is on ESPN. Now, Cincinnati is only favored by a field goal on the road here with both teams coming off a bye. SMU lost three of its past four games. They narrow losses at Maryland and against TCU. Then they were hammered by Central Florida and slipped by Navy. They had to score 20 straight points to break that skid and beat Navy 40 to 34. But they're still um, an offense that can, can throw the ball around the yard a little bit there. Now, Cincinnati won by 10 at Tulsa. Fort South Florida the last couple of games out. The defense is the calling card again. 23 sacks, 6 picks. They forced 7 fumbles through 6 games. Ben Bryant at quarterback has been great. 1,561 yards, 15-6 to 6 touchdown and interception ratio. Charles McElland is averaging 6.6 6 yards per carry. Tyler Scoot's averaging almost 18 yards per reception. So the offense is uh, certainly able-bodied as well. But they have a hard time pulling away from, from teams. So Cincinnati is only favored by three and a half. So that's an indicator that Cincinnati is not expected to just pull away here, and the Mustangs could certainly make it a ball game. So those are my top two games on the slate for the noon section there. Uh, the rest of the games on the slate here, Baylor's three and three now. They're hosting Kansas at 5-2. This is the ESPN2 game. I don't think this will be a bad watch. The Bears are eight-point favorites, but I'm not sure they're that much better. I'm not sure who the quarterback is going to be if Black if uh, Shapen is Blake Shapen is out due to the injury he sustained in the West Virginia game last week, or if Chiron Drones, the freshman, is going to be playing. I'm not sure there's any drop-off at all there at the quarterback position for Baylor. I actually think this will be... There'll be more points on the board than defense if that's the case uh, either way, uh, whether it's backup quarterbacks or not. Kansas, again, the defense, especially the passing defense, is now one of the worst in the country, particularly after getting sliced up last week. Baylor's not as dominant as they were at one point, so I think we could see more points in this particular ball game. Uh, also in the noon slot, number two, Ohio State is 6-0. and They're hosting Iowa, who's 3-3. Three and three. This is the Fox game, and I don't know why you'd want any piece of this other than to watch that Ohio State offense go to work, particularly against a good defense. But again, on the offensive side of the ball, they're so atrocious, it really starts to shorten fields when they can't move the football and have to punt it, and um, they turn the ball over. It just causes all kinds of problems when your offense literally can't do anything. And statistically, it's actually astounding how atrocious Iowa's offense is. But Ohio State will be hosting them on Fox at noon. Navy is 2-4. and four. They're hosting Houston, who's 3-3 three and three on ESPNU as the Cougars are still trying to get on track and stay competitive in the American Conference. They are three and a half point favorites on the road here. Again, just trying to get on track. Tennessee is ranked number three now. They are hosting Tennessee Martin, and uh, it's a good thing because they would not be able to focus after the Alabama big win here. This uh, might be a game that doesn't even cover the spread. I'm not sure what it's sitting at right now. It's on the SEC network, but with Kentucky next week, followed by Georgia after that, Tennessee just needs a little a little breather here against their typical late-season cupcake team like a lot of the SEC squads do um, to fill in their schedule. 
And the last one I have here, barely worth mentioning, but the noon slate is really just void of uh, quality games. But Rutgers at 3-3 three and three is hosting Indiana, who's 3-4 and four on the Big Ten Network. These teams are combined 1-6 in the Big Ten, but they're both going to try and pick up wins for bowl eligibility. At 12.30, ESPN3 has quietly squirreled away one of the actually better games on the slate. It's a 3-3 Miami team hosting a Duke team that's 4-3. Miami's almost a 10-point favorite on the road. They can still win the Coastal Division of the ACC, which is really kind of a dumpster fire right now. North Carolina leads it at 3-0 overall in conference play, followed by, get this, Georgia freaking Tech, who's 2-1 in conference play. So that's the situation there right now. Uh, But Miami and Duke, two teams who have struggled as of late. Duke lost a heartbreaker in the North Carolina rivalry last week, 38-35 as North Carolina scored a touchdown late. That was one of a number of really good football games, even amongst the Tennessee, Alabama, and Oklahoma TCUs and Utah USC's last week. But Duke has now lost three of the past four. The lone win over Virginia losses at Kansas, at Georgia Tech, and to North Carolina. They still have a good quarterback here in Riley Leonard, but um, it's just uh, really a middling team right now in Miami trying to still recover after the losses, the three-game stretch to Texas A&M, Middle Tennessee, and North Carolina. They beat Virginia Tech last week. Tyler Van Dyke trying to kind of get his team around here. Again, the Virginia Tech win was nothing to nothing to write home about. The Hokies are 2-5 and five right now. Tyler Van Dyke here trying to kind of help this team get back on track. Mario Cristobal, a tough start there, but Tyler Van Dyke, 351 yards, a couple touchdowns last week. He's starting to put up numbers again, and he might have to kind of pull this team towards a bowl game this year, towards the back half of the schedule. The remaining games for the Hurricanes include this Duke game. They're at Virginia. They're home against Florida State, at Georgia Tech, at Clemson, home against Pitt. That's still a tough schedule, but if they can go 3-3 three and three again down the line, at least make a bowl game, make some progress for Cristobal here. Maybe it's not a complete loss for the Canes. And um, Duke, I, I, somewhat similar, at Miami, at Boston College, home against Virginia Tech, at Pitt, home against Wake Forest. And they've already got four wins, so they only need a couple more. It's going to be tough for both these teams. And uh, just a strange, strange situation here in the ACC Coastal Division. The last game in the watchable slot here is at 1 o'clock. Toledo at 5-2, and two, traveling to Buffalo, who's 4-3. and three. This is on ESPN+. Both teams are 3-0 and oh in the MAC and the two division leaders. The Rockets are a touchdown favorite on the road, so they're clearly viewed as the best team in the conference. Buffalo has actually won four games in a row to get to this point, but they do lead the MAC East and, of course, the West, led by the Toledo Rockets. Jaquan Finn for the Rockets now has 23 total touchdowns on the season, including seven last week and blowing up the Kent State Golden Flashes. They've won three in a row, so this should be an interesting game between two of the top teams in the MAC Conference. 
Your afternoon slate starts at 2.30 with UNLV at 4-3 traveling to Notre Dame. The Irish are shocking 3-3. This is on Peacock and NBC. Irish looked awful last week in a surprising 16-14 loss to Stanford that no one except for me saw coming. And uh, you have to really wonder what what they're going to do now. I kind of thought that the offense had found itself after BYU-North Carolina wins and um, just not the case. Couldn't do anything against Stanford that completely befuddled them, kept the ball away, and uh, just yeah, just a shocking, low-scoring game. Uh, just a shocking game. Uh, but UNLV here is on a two-game slide, 40-7 to to San Jose State and 42-7 to to Air Force, two of the best teams in the Mountain West. If Notre Dame can't house this team here, then they're in some somehow some new level of awful. So uh, we'll see what the Irish can do against the UNLV running Rebels at 2.30. At 3 o'clock on FS1, we have Texas Tech hosting West Virginia, a couple of 3-3 three and three teams. West Virginia managed to put up points on Baylor and punch them out last week. Texas Tech was on a bye. They're on a two-game slide, though. Losses at Kansas State by 11 and uh, at uh, Oklahoma State by 10. This defense keeps them in ball games, but the offense can't quite keep them on the right side of some of these shootouts. So they've gone through multiple quarterbacks. Doesn't really seem to, to matter who's starting there. And uh, they just can't quite um, stay in these games. But West Virginia playing right around their level. JT Daniels hasn't exactly elevated the play there, but he's not a bad quarterback by whatever measure you use there. Only nine touchdown passes on the season, which is disappointing. They have won three of four, though. The only loss was at Texas, wins over Baylor and at Virginia Tech. So they can certainly knock off Texas Tech here, but the Red Raiders are favored by about a touchdown at this point, and I kind of like them in this game. Still should be an interesting little matchup between two teams that are, again, in this very good Big 12 conference and um, very talented. Finally, at 3.30, we have a triple header, our biggest games of the day. Let's start with number seven, Old Miss. They're 7-0. and They're traveling to Death Valley to play the LSU Tigers, who are 5-2. and This is your CBS game. Your Fox game is number nine, UCLA, 6-0 at number 10, Oregon, who's 5-1. And, and your ABC game is number 20, Texas at 5-2, traveling to 11-1, Oklahoma State, who's 5-1. So let's start with Old Miss and LSU. The running Rebels are number three in third down conversions. They keep moving the ball, moving the ball, pushing, running one of the best run offenses in the country. They've gone over 300 yards in most of their games. They also don't give up a lot of sacks. Just hand off, run the ball, keep it going. The defense leaves a little to be desired, but so does LSU on the other hand. Jaden Daniels has been doing a solid, solid job. He's been pitching the ball around a little bit more, and he's always a threat to run the ball. Over 300 yards passing each of the past two games and a loss against Tennessee. And the win at Florida last week in a 45-31 to 31 kind of shootout there. But he is really dragging this offense along. He had three touchdowns last week passing, three touchdowns rushing as well. He finally got Butte involved a little bit. Six catches for 115 yards. A number of talents there, but they were able to get things going 
on the right page a little bit last week. This should be a very interesting game. Both these quarterbacks are at least a little familiar with each other. I don't think they were ever on the field at the same time last week, but Jackson Dart for Old Miss transferring over from USC last year. Jane Daniels from Arizona State to Pac-12 quarterback. Rejects essentially coming over. So it'll be interesting to have these two on the field at the same time. And uh, we'll see if Old Miss is for real. The Tigers are actually favored at home by a point and a half at the moment. Both of these teams are 3-1 and one right now in conference play. This will be a really good, good ball game. Oh, Oregon, I don't know what to do with you. Oregon's coming off a bye. UCLA is coming off a bye. They're ranked 9-10. UCLA is undefeated. Oregon's 5-1. and one. This is the 330 Fox game. I don't like Bo Nix as a quarterback. I think he fills up a lot of stats, but is not that effective. But the numbers say that Oregon is very effective in the red zone. They don't give up a lot of sacks. And they've won a lot of football games, including a comeback game against Washington State. The only real bad game they've obviously had was against Georgia at the beginning of the year, flying all the way across the country. So they're still in the mix here for the Pac-12 race. UCLA, I don't like the points that they're giving up. Right now it says a 70-point over-under, and Oregon's favored by 6. UCLA is 4th and 3rd down conversions. They're able to continuously keep the ball moving. Dorian Thomas-Robinson, again, another dual threat in every sense of the word, scoring from anywhere on the field, running the ball from between the 50s, red zone, regardless of where he's at. Cabernet is one of the, I don't want to say better running backs in the country because there's about 50 good running backs in the country, but he is truly a threat back there, and this should be a great high-scoring game. I don't know, I don't have a lean either way here, but... um, yeah, it'll just be interesting if UCLA can win on the road here. Their first road game of the second road game of the season, first one against a big team. The last game was against Colorado. Can they stay undefeated? Can they keep the Pac-12 undefeated? Will Oregon win, bumping off UCLA, and all of a sudden USC, UCLA, Oregon all have one loss, and is the Pac-12 at risk of everyone having two losses and ending up out of the playoff race again, but having a number of really good teams, which is very interesting moving forward? Or is, you know, are we going to continue to possibly have multiple teams with one loss vying for a playoff spot as we head deeper into the season? And finally, the ABC game, number 20, Texas at number 11, Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders doesn't do well in big ball games. Quinn Ewer, three starts now, has not looked terribly effective. Missing open throws last week against Iowa State. Oklahoma State's passing defense is actually not the Cyclones' defense. He should have an opportunity to have more open throws, work the defense more, so he might have a better shot here. This line is uh, minus six Texas. I believe Spencer Sander being questionable again is reason for that. I hope he's healthy and we see both of these teams at their full power. Because right now, I don't understand the national narrative and the Texas hype and can they win out and would the playoff committee consider putting Texas in? They do consider injuries as part of your resume and and wins and that kind of deal. So they could look at a two-loss Texas and the fact that Quinn Ewers was out and overlook the Texas Tech loss a little bit and how close they were against Alabama and that he missed the back half of that game and consider putting Texas in. But right now, it's just crazy to me. It's just crazy. We always end up with an undefeated team, a one-loss team, a championship 
you know, conference title, ACC, Pac-12, whatever. So I just don't know how they're even in the conversation. And when we get that far, there must still be a two-loss team that's better, regardless of whether Quinn Ewers was injured or not. We still haven't seen that he's actually one of the best quarterbacks in the country at this point. So that's just wild. But I'd like to see if he has an opportunity to prove that. And he won't if Oklahoma State is not healthy. I've got three games in my middle tier watches here at 3.30. Memphis is 4-3. and three. They're playing in number 25 Tulane. They're 6-1 and one on ESPN2. That's a road game for Memphis. Home game for Tulane, the green wave. Now, let me tell you, Tulane, good defense. They've won three straight. They won the big overtime game against Houston. They shut down East Carolina 24-9. And they won against South Florida 45-31 to on the road last week. This does look like a really good defensive team that can compete in the American Conference. Michael Pratt has 11 touchdowns to 3 interceptions, 67% completion percentage. They have a, a decent running back there in Tyree Spears, who's got 8 touchdowns on the year. And um, again, just a defensive-focused team. The offense isn't a complete liability, though. Like they don't have a quarterback that can't throw or no real guy that can run the ball. Like they have some players on the offensive side of the ball as well for a non-power five school. Memphis has lost two straight to Houston, 33-32 at East Carolina, 47-45. So they've lost two very close games, but uh, just not sure how this team is um, going to be through the rest of the season. They lost in four overtimes last week on the road. I just don't know if they can win another road game here against a, a really good Tulane defense, but overall, this should be a good contest. BYU at 4-3 and three is traveling to Liberty. The Flames are 6-1, and one, 3.30 ESPNU. BYU is having a hell of a time. Two losses in a row now. Notre Dame 28-20, to 20, where it actually looked like Notre Dame might be bouncing back. Now it looks like Notre Dame and BYU are trending in the wrong direction. Arkansas last week, 52-35, to included a great play by K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback for the Razorbacks, pulling out of like four or five or six tackles to, uh, to, to make a running play at one point there. And BYU, man, what a, what a disappointment. They have one of the worst third-down conversion rates in the country. The offense is starting to sputter just a little bit here with the defense having problems all season. And uh, just a tough go for BYU. The schedule after this, East Carolina at home, at Boise State, Utah Tech at Stanford, so they can still bounce back and definitely win some games here. Liberty, we're not sure how good they are. Wins over Akron, South Mississippi, UMass, Gardner-Webb. Those are not good football teams. They lost by one point to Wake Forest. That's a good football team. And, uh, yeah, but just a one-point win, 21-20 over Gardner-Webb last week. Not quite sure how good this football team really is, but they have rolled up 26 sacks on the season. Six from Dennis Osgoldy and Darrell Johnson has five. And I'm not sure six wins, regardless of competition, is too much to turn your nose up at with Hugh Free still coaching over there. So BYU at Liberty. Also at 3.30, Purdue at 5-2 and two is traveling to Madison to play a 3-4 and four Wisconsin team on ESPN. Sure, certainly not the record that ESPN hoped these teams would have when they came to town. The Badgers are two-point favorites, but they're 1-3 in the Big Ten. Purdue is 3-1. and one. 
their defense, although not necessarily sticking out in a lot of statistical categories, is only allowing 30% of third downs to be converted. Still have a great quarterback there in Aiden O'Connell and uh, can move the football a bit, can shut down the run when they need to. And Wisconsin still trying to bounce back. Graham Mertz still not particularly impressive for that group as the Badgers have lost three of four, including the overtime loss to Michigan State last week, 34 to 28. They lost to Ohio State and Illinois as well. They did hammer Northwestern 42 to seven. Purdue has now won four straight. Over Nebraska, although that was only a six-point win. Maryland was a two-point win. They beat Minnesota by 10, Florida Atlantic by two. So they're pulling games out, but they're holding on to a tie for the first place in the Big Ten West. So good job here by the Purdue Boilermakers and a tough, tough road environment here in Madison. Other games just worth mentioning, but probably not worth watching. Maryland at 5-2 is hosting 1-5 Northwestern at 3-30 on the Big Ten Network. James Madison's 5-1 hosting Marshall at 3-3 at 3-30 on ESPN+. Plus. James Madison is still a good football team there. At 3-30, UTSA's 5-2. They're hosting North Texas, who's 4-3. Not sure what network that's going to be on yet. I would assume it's ESPN+. Plus. I believe they still have rights to Conference USA there. DeCorey and Clark. And Zachary Franklin are tied with seven touchdowns each for sixth most in the country for the UTSA Roadrunners, who still have two great great weapons there for Frank Harris, the quarterback. Both have 650-plus receiving yards and average 13-plus yards a catch. North Texas has a great offense of their own. There will be points in this game for sure. And both are 3-0 in Conference USA. The evening slate is going to be a hodgepodge, and it's a little light. It's going to be something that's going to involve a little channel flicking. I have one game in particular that stands out to me, but in time, starting order, tip-off order, 6 o'clock, San Jose State is 4-2. and two. They're traveling to New Mexico State, the 2-5 and five Cowboys. Is that what they are? I think they're Cowboys. Aggies? Maybe Aggies? Whatever they are. New Mexico State Aggies at 2-5, and five, hosting the San Jose Spartans at 4-2. and two. Not sure what network this is going to be on right now, but San Jose looking like maybe one of the better teams in the Mountain West, which has been really a dumpster fire so far this season. They're favored by 21 and a half on the road. So Spartans, big game there for Mountain West. Hopefully not tripping up on the road against an independent team in New Mexico State. At 7 o'clock is the big ESPN game. Number 6, Alabama at 6-1. and one. Hosting number 24, Mississippi State at 5-2. And, and this will be a game that probably won't be on your television too much. There's a massive, massive line here with Alabama favored by three scores, which really seems like it is just too high a line. Mississippi State, I would think, would be able to hang around, but they had a, a rough loss last week at Kentucky, a team that is slowly starting to look healthier and, and better there. But Alabama, I think that the... Um, Revenge factors figured in here more with the Tide playing at home and Bryce Young and um, Mississippi State. The two trip-ups they've had this year on the road to Kentucky, on the road to LSU. Alabama's secondary has not been great by any stretch, but if they're able to manipulate what Will Rogers is doing in any shape or form, then he's going to have some problems and this team will not perform very well. Even so, Bryce Young and Alabama... 
Uh, Jamar Gibbs should be able to hang with them. Again, this could be a really close game. Alabama's been hanging on, really, for most of this season. If you remember the Texas A&M game prior to the Tennessee upset, they could have lost that ball game. But Mississippi State struggles on the road, so maybe Alabama runs away with it. Maybe not. Kind of hard to say. But um, that game is the ESPN 7 o'clocker. Also at 7 o'clock, CBS Sports Network. Air Force is 5-2, and two, hosting Boise State, who's 4-2. and two. Boise is surprising 3-0 and oh in the Mountain West. Air Force is looking like they could win the conference as well, and they're favored by 3.5 at home. So keep an eye on the flying Air Boys to uh, possibly knock out the Broncos, who again, fire their offensive coordinator. Their starting quarterback to start the season has entered the transfer portal in Boise State, beating up on a bad Mountain West conference right now. They've beaten San Diego State, Fresno State, and New Mexico in order to compile that record so far, so not impressive at all in this particular case, and uh, Air Force should be the favorite in this game. At 7.30, we have number 16, Penn State at 5-1, hosting Minnesota, who's 4-2 on ABC. The Gophers have lost two in a row now. The offense doesn't look good. Tanner Morgan might not be playing. Even when he has played this year, he hasn't looked very good. And Michigan, they've really laid the blueprint for how to carve up Penn State's defense on the ground. So it's possible that Mo Ibrahim has just handed the ball 40 times in this game to run it up Penn State's nose, but um, it's going to be rough going for the Gophers overall. So this could be a very difficult to watch game. I assume Penn State's going to roll here, even if the offense struggles, but uh, this is not going to be a particularly uh, fun game to watch, but these are still two good ball clubs. This is about a, a my medium range watch here, as is Mississippi State, Alabama. But again, it's going to be a lot of flipping to see what games are worth watching and and close in this evening slate. Speaking of which, 7.30, South Carolina's 4-2, receiving AP Top 25 votes now, and uh, they're hosting Texas A&M, who's 3-3, so they may get there. This is the SEC Network game. Both are 1-2 in the SEC. A&M's favored by field goal on the road, so what does that tell you about the Gamecocks? South Carolina is, strangely enough, number one in blocked punts and tied for number one in blocked kicks in the country with five of each. That is a very stunning stat. But when your defense isn't very good and your quarterback has eight picks on the season tied for fourth most in the country, then I guess your special teams have to lead the way. Texas A&M, still not really impressive in in anything they do, and they're coming off a bye week. So that game will be available on your television should you want to watch that. Also at 7.30, East Carolina's 4-3. They're hosting UCF, who's 5-1. On ESPNU, Central Florida will get Cincinnati next week. I love the Pirates. I think they're a fun football team to watch. Nearly beat NC State back in the opener. Had a tough game against Tulane a couple weeks ago. Had a great shootout against Memphis last week where they came out victorious. But this team is one of 15, converting over 50% of its third downs in the country. UCF isn't very far behind, so lots of great conversions here. Isaiah Winstead is averaging 13.8 yards per catch at fourth in the country in receptions for a good quarterback here in the East Carolina Pirates. And UCF actually has one of the best red zone defenses in the country, so they are able to make stops when they count. 
Will they be able to stop the Pirates from sailing on into the end zone? That will be the big question. So this will be a good game out of the American Conference. Just a game worth noting at 8 o'clock. Pittsburgh at 4-2 and two will be traveling to Louisville, who's 3-3 three and three in the ACC network. Louisville's actually favored by a point, which is stunning considering how badly they've lost some games this season. So I guess Pittsburgh's not any good, huh? That's just a rough, rough go there. But the biggest game on the evening slate, the one you should be watching, is number 8 TCU at 6-0, hosting number 17 Kansas State on FS1. Both teams are 3-0 in conference play. TCU is actually a a 3.5 point favorite in this game. Now, Kansas State is only allowing teams to convert on 29% of third downs. This is an underrated defense, and TCU doesn't really seem to uh, play a whole lot of it. Now, Adrian Martinez is winning primarily with his feet, with his legs for Kansas State. They took a bye last week. Previously, they beat Iowa State 10-9 in a low-scoring affair. He has not thrown an interception this season. He's also only thrown four touchdowns. Not a lot of throwing going on. 62% completion percentage. He does have nine touchdowns on the ground on 91 carries. That's quite a few, and that's... uh, how Kansas State wins football games. He's got to run the football. Deuce Vaughn's still back there running too. 661 yards, 5.5 per pop, three touchdowns. But it's really Adrian, the Adrian Martinez show right now. And that defense doing a great job in uh, preventing the ball from moving up and down the field. We know about TCU now. A couple big wins, maybe three, maybe four at this point. They won an SMU 42-34. to Obviously, that team's 3-3 three and three right now, but still a respectable group. Oklahoma looks like they may start to bounce back a little bit here in the back half of the season. 55-24 to was that win. They beat Kansas 38-31 to with a healthy quarterback. And now Oklahoma State 43-40 to in which they slaughtered them in the second half of that game and finally punched them out in overtime. Max Duggan finally getting some respect at quarterback there, completing almost 70% of his passes, 16 passing touchdowns, one interception, four more touchdowns on the ground, and of course his top target, Quinton Johnston, 500 yards on the dot, couple touchdowns, 14.7 yards per reception. Ty Barber, 18.7 yards per receptions in the mix. Darius Davis is good as well, but the main guy, Johnston, is a a stud for that squad. So I'm not sure Kansas State will win here. I've seen some leans that Kansas State will uh, travel on the road in that defense, and uh, Adrian Martinez on the offensive side will be enough. I'm not sure about that. I've been a big fan of TC and what they've been able to do, but this is easily the best watch on the evening slate right now. Now your late night snack, your late night slate is rather light as well. 9.45, Wyoming is 4-3. and three. They're hosting Utah State, who is 3-4. and four. Not sure what network this is on right now. Two teams that are struggling in the Mountain West at 10.30 on ESPN. Washington at 5-2 and two will be traveling to California, who's 3-3. Three and three. Cal lost to Buffalo last week. Excuse me, Colorado, the Buffs. Yeah, it's just it was so astounding, I can't get it wrapped around my mind yet. The last team to win a game this season at the FBS level, a bad football team, and California managed to blow it in overtime, a team that seems like they have a decent offense going at times. And uh, now they're welcoming in Washington. Michael Penix is back on top as far as the passing leader. 
in the country. And uh, this team's still going to throw the ball, but they give up a lot of points on the back end. Washington's seven and a half point favorites on the road. That may be too high. They just give up too many points. And also at 1030, San Diego State at three and three, traveling to Nevada, who's two and five on CBS Sports Network. The over-under is 36 points. The offenses suck. These are bad teams. San Diego State's still a seven-point favorite on the road, which is wild, which is wild. I take whoever you're getting plus money on, quite frankly. So your late night slate is not a great night slate. All right, your top watches. Let's start with your weekday watch. That's the 7.30 Troy-South Alabama game on ESPN on Thursday. This will be a great game. Two great Sun Belt teams. Again, Troy, better on the defensive side of things. South Alabama has got some offensive pieces. Very good on the defensive side of the ball as well. Either of these teams can win the Sun Belt Conference. My must-watch, I think this is an easy one. Number 10, Oregon hosting number 9, UCLA on Fox at 3.30. The Pac-12 Conference is very compact at the top in these two. Could be a rematch in the Pac-12 Conference Championship if they are indeed the two best teams. The other games that could be on this list, Texas, Oklahoma State, Old Miss, LSU, Syracuse, Clemson, but none just quite have the, the ring that this one does, Kansas State, TCU. I think these two are two of the four best teams, at least in the Pac-12 Conference, and it'll be a good football game between the two. And uh, I just like this to be the top watch. If you're sitting down to watch one game, this should be it. Audible for today is the 1230 Duke at Miami game on ESPN3 with both the noon slate and the evening slate being light. I think that could be a very good game. And still, both teams are somehow involved in the ACC Coastal Division. Both have good quarterbacks. Could be a lot of points and high scoring there. Not great football teams, but entertaining potentially good football teams if they can work out some issues. My underrated game, also in that noon slot, Kansas at Baylor on ESPN2. I still think Baylor's a good football team, regardless of who's their quarterback. I think they have a couple good ones. Kansas is still talented. With Bean running the offense rather than Jalen Daniels, they can still put up points. Baylor can still move the football. I think this is an underrated game in the noon slot on ESPN2. Your check-in game is at 3.30, Memphis at 4-3, and three, at Tulane, who's not ranked 25th, they're 6-1 on ESPN2. Again, this is the busy chunk of the day as far as good football games, but this is going to be a good one as well. The Green Wave could go to the playoffs. I'm joking. I'm slightly joking. This could be one of the better non-Power 5 teams playing in the same conference, the American as Cincinnati and uh, a good challenger here in Memphis coming into town. My small screen, and there are a lot of good games. The top two teams in the MAC are playing in Toledo and Buffalo, Memphis and Tulane, as I just mentioned, UCF and Coastal Carolina, Boise State and Air Force. It's really a loaded non-Power 5 slate, all things considered. My pick is going to be for this particular slot, UCF at Eastern Carolina. I think that'll be a good ball game between two American teams there on ESPNU, at 7.30. If you have ESPN+, Plus, I would also consider the 3.30 UTSA North Texas game as well. I believe that's where that game will be broadcast. Now, the last slate, the last slot here, the late night snack, by default is the 10.30 Washington at California game on ESPN. 
that could provide a little entertainment on the evening slate. But with the way some of these Mountain West teams are and getting some of the bottom Pac-12 teams that are really bad, there could be a, lo- a rough slate of games here in this particular late night window for the next few weeks. But those are my top picks. That's the watch guide, the top 25, and the review from last week. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'll talk with you later. All my blessings, all my blessings. 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 I need my blessings every penny.